Right, here we go again, listeners. I'm going to be talking, here we go for episode 10 of the podcast, discussing energy independence. We're going to be looking at non-renewables, we're going to be looking at, cl- we're looking at solar, we're going to be looking at wind, we're going to be looking at nuclear, the renewables, we'll be looking at oil and coal, the non-renewables, we'll be looking at the political ramifications of a green industrial revolution and a green new deal. We'll also be looking at new ideas of how to provide subsidies to people so therefore they can claim the uh, non-renewables, that, the renewables that they require. We'll be looking at the effects of climate change, but also looking at how as a nation we can become energy independent and self-sufficient. Right, let's try this again. Okay, James, I'm in the room. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, thanks, goodness. Uh, for the good listeners, this is the second time in two minutes we're recording the podcast because we tried first time around and uh, James and Michael impersonating Trappist monks successfully. Uh, <laughs> but now we are, here we go again. Uh, by the way, Michael, I might just occasionally just stick him in the waiting room once in a while because, you know, I can. Right. By the way, Michael is currently traveling up to Scotland of all places. And so he will be impersonating monk and be quite extremely silent throughout the hour and if he does chip in we'll have to put him in mute again well, i can chip in every now and then like this no you can't <laughs> i will mute you now <laughs> that's not bothered to me okay sure marvelous now here we go uh michael has been put on mute and if he wants to unmute himself he's more than willing to right now Okay, we're going to be discussing uh, the theory of energy independence. So we're going to start by looking at the renewables, then we'll be looking at the non-renewables, then we're going to be looking at the political ramifications, and we'll look at the idea of of the whole concept of energy independence. So let's start with renewables. So let's, let's first examine solar as a concept. Now, solar, to understand it, is where you put... I'm going to take the big. Where you put a roof, where you put a solar panel on your roof and it reflects the sun. And then, of course, I mean, I'm not a scientist, I barely pass science as GCC. But then by that, that's the Sorry, is he grumbling again? There we go. Right. And by that, it creates electricity through the power of sunlight rather than through coal. So it's a renewable form of electricity transmission, a renewable form of heating. The benefit of it is, first of all, is that once you do have a solar panel, you know, you don't have to constantly pump out more solar panels. Once you cover your roof with solar panels, they're staying there. It's not like coal where every day you go down the mine and pick the coal out. Uh, the same benefit is that once the investment is done, it is done because it's long-term effectiveness. Mm-hmm. However, from what I've heard about solar panels, everybody's denied a hot shower and isn't transmitting much electricity. So is solar part of the leading solution, do you think, James? I think... In a way, it is. I think, may, uh, I think, I think the technology is there. As you can see, the, the solar panels do work. They do power electricity, but they don't power enough to cover an entire house. It just reduces the amount of uh, electricity produced by uh, you get off the actual national grid. That's that's what it mainly does. But I think, I think, I think an issue with I think solar panels can be worked in the way that is that that can be beneficial. I mean, in sunny countries. I'm gonna like like the desert countries, like Saudi Arabia, like all these countries where they get like hours and hours and hours and hours of sun every single every single day, and it's just no clouds in the sky. And then those the solar panels could could work wonders there. So I mean, when if they if they have to move away from oil, like which which they're probably going to do in the in the near future because of 
because of the public's inception of oil and because of the public's opinion in oil, I think I think a good way for what they should do is be investing into solar panel research and actually use their natural environment to their advantage and actually have massive solar farms, which, which, which then they can export the electricity off to other countries. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think that if you look at the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia, like Jordan, like Iraq, they could easily use solar panels for their nations because, of course, they are nations with constant sunlight. And the purpose of that is, first of all, most of these nations aren't, and they are energy sufficient in oil. This would give a new form of energy that's renewable, so therefore it'd be far more effective. But secondly, I think that, you know, it, renewable energies are required to tackle the climate crisis. You know, we are living in a climate crisis, no one pretending otherwise. And if we use Middle Eastern nations with uh, solar, with, with with solar primarily, that will help. I think that's, but do you think we should specifically target just for the Middle East or should it be global, do you think? I think, I think it should be global, but I feel like, I feel like the issue in this country, it's really everything that is a personal thing rather than a, like, a national thing. I mean, you have some solar farms in the UK, but I mean, but I mean, most mo mo most people see it as a personal thing, and it's it's got a high initial cost to set to put these old panels on your house, which is an issue. It's got uh, it take it loses up a lot of space as uh, as solar panels use fields and fields and fields of space, and and I mean if and if you do if you do put solar panels on your house, it's not ideal that you're planning to move your house in a, in a few years time. You just you just put solar panels on your house, you're going to move house. I mean, it's not much. See, there's very, there's very, there's advantages of using solar panels. Like, there's very little pollution. It's pretty much no. It's, uh, it does produce, it's, um, reduces your electric bill. It's, uh, it's, it's return. You get your return on your investment over a period of time. But the issue is with sol, the issue with solar panels is, is that, can is it, is it too, is it too space? Uh, does it waste too much space? I mean, for, for, for the amount of energy that you're getting, if you're going to talk about these big farms your big farms that you have in like the fields in the countryside of Britain. Is that, is that, is that the solar farms are not actual farms. Uh, is the solar farms too much space wasted for the amount of electricity they're producing? I think that's a reasonable concern actually. And I think it's been the sense that question is probably yes, is that there are there is too much space consumed by solar panels. And that's why, in my view, that solar panels should be primarily for domestic use. I think we should have solar panels concentrate on people's homes, people's buildings, all office buildings, all companies should have solar panels on the roofs because first of all, that's more effective. But second of all, I think in the agricultural sector, yeah. there is a case saying, should we have solar panels in the farms? Should we have like should we have water powered by solar? Of course, that infamously on Dairy Clark. Uh, Clarkson Farm, what great show, great show on Amazon Prime, where they use a hose pipe to water all the wetlands, and it basically blasts out so much water that it starts basically making the wetlands too wet. It doesn't actually dry up sufficiently, and then they use a solar panel, and that's just a little treacle of water. And Clarkson walks off and goes, "Well, let Zeus do his work." But the point is, is that is it effective? That's the key question. Mm. Is solar panels effective now? First of all, is it in your view? Do you think solar's value for money? Yeah, I think I think it's a, I think it's one of in the. Of, I, I value for money. I mean, if, if if I was to buy a solar panel and stick it on my roof, buy five solar panels and stick them across the roof, would I receive a genuine value for money in terms of the electricity of my home and the heating of my home? That's I think mean. I think you would in in the short term, no. But if you look if you're looking at over a period of five, ten. 15 years yes definitely so uh, so, so, so solar panels uh, give, give you more energy independence it gives you it gives you better 
the return on investment. And because you're more energy independent, you are spending less money on the national grid that you would usually use for the solar panels. The thing, the thing is, though, the, the issue with solar panels is that they only work 50% of the time during the day. During the night, they're useless. You can, and then, but and then, but then you look at these nuclear power stations. You look at you look at these actual like fossil fuel burning power stations. These work twenty four seven. So, so so solar panels only work twelve seven. That's true. Twelve, twelve hours a day they work, and then the other twelve hours they're useless because there's no sun to actually power them. And what's the so? so how do we then ensure that they aren't just good for 12 hours a day? I mean, you know, I know a lot of people are ignorant about this. I'm rather ignorant about the climate crisis. Well, how is it then? Do we need night panels? I mean, what's the solution there? Is it to, how do we, is it wind? Do you think wind's a solution? Especially in the winter months, primarily, where uh, there does, there's lots of gushes of wind at night. So is wind turbines yeah. part of it as well? In the night? I mean, I just mean, I think, I think, I think, wind at night. I don't think you can just, I don't think you can just pick one and say this is the only one that you can use. No, of course not. I, don't, I, I think I think you have to have a mixture of both. But I mean, and it depends on every country. I mean, this country we're going to think, well, it's a, it's a lot windier than it is sunny. I mean, I mean, Brit, Brit, Britain's famous for having ninety nine percent of their days rainy, and the one day of the year that's sunny, we call it summer. And so we we don't we don't actually have we don't actually have much sun compared to other countries in the world. Yeah. So it's it's it would be kind of useless if you see what I mean of us of us like putting billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of pounds more into solar panels than it would be into wind, uh, into wind, uh, into wind farms. Now, the thing, the thing with the wind farms is that these work, they work, but then you need it to be windy. So there's only a limited amount of places that you can put the wind farms, presumably in high hills or at sea. And now uh, I think the government just recently, uh, what did they get? the government just recently introduced a building about wind farms. Uh, yes. yes, they're not going to allow much onshore wind farming. Yes, they got, they're going to get, get rid of onshore wind farms. They're not going to get rid of them. They're no, not, not going to they're not going to exactly. considerably more new ones, basically. Yeah. No. And then, but then, they, but the offshore wind farms work. I mean, they're they're huge. The windmills in the offshore wind farms. There's a, and and they all work. But the fact the fact is, with um, they only work if it's windy. And, and then this and this and this is the thing with all of these. With, with, with all of these, um, you know, renewable energy sources, that solar panels only work if it's sunny. Wind, pan, uh, wind farms and wind turbines only work when it's windy. So, so what 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 we need to find is a renewable energy source that we can rely on for the majority of the time, and that and that and the stuff like um, stuff like uh, geothermal power, like Iceland do, yeah. they do geothermal power, which, which is which is just getting the power from like the Earth's heat itself. But I mean, we can't really do much. We don't live. We don't live in a particular area. More, isn't geothermal power more useful for the Scandinavian nations? Exactly. Exactly. That, that's, that's much more. It's more useful for the Icelandic places and places that live in like tectonic, uh, tectonically active areas. But I think. But and then, but then, but then, but then you've also got uh, H HEP, hydroelectric power, which is mm. um, which is basically like you have a dam and it lets water through. Spins turbines, which then, which then creates which, the most amount of energy. Yeah, that 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 does that does create the most amount of energy. But the issue with that is there's always a catch. It's the most expensive form of uh, energy uh, mm. thing as well. It costs it costs it's a huge archaeological uh, architectural uh, thing, and it's and it's hugely expensive to build. And what again, it comes back to time. Sorry. What about wave energy? Well, yeah. Well, the same with wave. Uh, the uh, tidal energy works as well. 
Yeah, I, I mean, Avengers like, was just a joke until recently. It's, it's the same thing. What is it, it, it is, No, it, 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 it's, it's the same principle as a uh, HGP uh, wave. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, exactly the it's the same principle. It's just that instead instead of instead of like letting you know water come through a dam, it lets um it's just based on the waves when they come into the shore, then it generates the turbine. But again, the thing is, they're both really expensive, and the issue is, are we going to make enough money? for that or well then then what should be happening instead of thinking oh are we gonna make enough money now we should be saying how can we make this cheaper how 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 can over the long term as a benefit we have to face a cost now of it's going to be expensive but then over time once technology advances once well, once we start building all of these like HEPs, these wind farms these solar panels the, all of these it will eventually become cheaper because because we have the resources we have the we have the facility we have the infrastructure to do it all and uh, to repeat it and repeat it why don't we talk about nuclear? We're going to talk about nuclear in a minute. I, I thought you were on your car journey. Anyway. Um, well, yeah, but I can speak. We will talk about nuclear. One at a time. Chat. One at a time. Sorry, are you questioning me, dear or dear? Now, um, we'll, talk about nu- we'll talk about nuclear in just a second. Let's just focus on the cost of renewables for two seconds. The question is with renewable energy, in, and those who brought program of the Green Industrial Revolution or the Green New Deal, they, it's the cost, right? How much? I mean, there is this positive in Ed Miliband's book that we should provide everybody with a fifteen hundred pound grant each household, so they can buy a series of solar panels. Which basically, the, it's the role of government to provide money up to fifteen hundred pounds to provide everybody with a solar panel on their roof. I mean, is that the way we want to go about this, or do we have to let private enterprise to make solar panels cheaper? Is it the market, do you think, or is it the role for government to say, you know, you companies must build, you know, this amount of solar panels and this amount of wind turbines, etc. So when we talk about the environment in energy, is it government command and control we need, or is it we need to trust the free market? What's the way? What's the way of direction? I think. I think. I think the way of direction. Is the government? I think the government has to enforce regulation, has to enforce rules, because the free market and the market will only do the cheapest op- cheapest option. And the cheapest option right now is is um is you know gas, oil, and all these uh, all of these uh, fossil fuels and uh, non renewables. That, that that is the cheapest option. So the government the government has to enforce legislation saying, well, if we give you a grant, if we give you this, if we to make it cheaper. Can you move away from your fossil fuel uh, energy and then move move towards more green, uh, more green and net and more ca- carbon efficient uh, places? The thing is, the thing the thing is with this is that it's a huge amount of cost. By twenty fifty, we want to get to net zero. Uh, there's been there's been a, I can't remember who did it. There was a study done by um, someone, and and it came to and it came to three hundred and twenty one billion pounds by twenty fifty. Uh, to get uh, to to make to make us have net zero, so it's a huge cost. It's not it's, it's not like one of these like about ten little, billion a year we're talking. Yeah, pr- pr- exactly. Pretty much ten billion a year. To um, so so it, so it is actually quite expensive ask to to, yeah. to get us to net zero. But the fact is, this ten billion pounds a year, or the three hundred twenty-one billion pounds over this period of time, has to be has to be given out in the best way possible. It can't. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be given to. It shouldn't just be given to your mates just because they they. Happen to run a wind farm, you know, <coughs> which is soon after, or yeah. you know, uh, or, or yeah, exactly. But um, so, but then, but then you think, 
Well, we can go into nuclear power, but the issue with nuclear power is obviously people are worried about another travel happening. But I mean, it's got it's got a lot safer since then, and it's less and less likely for that to ever happen again. But the I thing is, it's still in public mind. I think with nuclear, everyone talks about nuclear, also about, oh, look at Chernobyl. The three issues of Chernobyl are very simple. One, it took the Soviets two years to actually admit that Chernobyl even happened. Secondly, there was no plan B, plan C, or plan D, or plan E to deal with any radioactive meltdown in Chernobyl. And thirdly, because the Soviet system was such a bad system in terms of economic development, they didn't have the money to actually help the people of Chernobyl after the disaster. That's why it's a disaster. You know, right now, Britain has over 20 nuclear power plants in this country. Is Britain a victim of a nuclear disaster every other year? No, we're not, right? And the key about nuclear, in my view, is first of all, government has to own all the plants. I mean, of course, we can have private people working in the plants, but government has to own it and regulate the plants forcefully. Every nuclear power plant, which is about 100 in my view over the next 10 years, 100 nuclear power plants, but every one of them has to have a plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E, F, G, H, and on the way to plan Z in the case of what happens if we have a meltdown or a radioactive stops working. Because in my view, you can't have nuclear power managed by the private sector because like you said, James, private sector do things on the cheap and you cannot have national security on the cheap. And by the way, it is rather national security based. But secondly, of course, if we can build it in the, I mean, where should these nuclear power plants be built in your view? Is it going to be primarily in the North of England or should we evenly distribute it across all 13 regions? It should, it should be built in the place where people have got the most, uh, you know, knowledge about the particular area. So that happens to be the North Amsterdam, North, it happens to be the West. Oh, the West. Key one, James. Oh, sorry. I, I, what did you say, Michael? Oh, sorry. Just something. I did. Hold on, let me just get this up. Does it sound better if I talk here? Yeah, that sounds better. I can hear you better, man. That sounds better. Okay, good. It needs to have what people experience and better space. Space is key because you know the south looks like <laughs> good luck, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, so it does it, it, it rely. I mean, you're gonna have nuclear power plants, you're probably gonna move them away from civilian areas. You know, if you see what I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not gonna place it in the center of a city, exactly. So, so, so it's more likely to be in places with more areas which are more which, but then the but the I issue, the issue which people get in the Midlands, exactly. The, the, the issue. The issue with this is that is if you do have a hundred nuclear power plants, the amount of nuclear waste that you're going to be producing is extreme. And where and where, and where are you going to put all this nuclear waste? Send it off into space. Get Elon Musk on it. Yeah, he'll have no problem actually. If Elon Musk ever did something like that, that would be like. What what would you call it? like the biggest breakthrough that you can do with a damn rocket? That'd you be can't be, yeah, you you can't you can you can't. But the thing is, you can't actually send nuclear uh, yeah. nuclear power into space because if something goes wrong with that rocket, you've got an effective oh nuclear God, bomb going above worst. a civilian area. Yeah, it'd be the yeah. funniest but the worst. Yeah. What do you think about, do you think about the idea of a? Have you read about this idea of a Green New Deal, James? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. The idea is 2015 objective concept, do you think? Is, can we get to net zero by 2050 or should it be earlier? Because I was going to say 2050 or is it, do we have to really aim for 2040? And I'm asking you all these questions because you're the only person who has a qualified opinion on science in this podcast. I think, yeah, I, think, I, so I, think I think, I think, 
I think main. I think it is possible to get down to twenty forty. I think it is possible. But then that the the issue is is that people are going to have to take serious cuts in their daily life. The serious and serious city. I don't think people are willing to do that. I think I think I I, I wouldn't put it past the British public or the government said you're doing this. You have to do it now. They, they would do it right, like we did through the lockdown. We did all that. But the fact is, no government will do that because it's not seen as a massive issue. But obviously, climate change is an issue. I'm not saying it's not an issue. I'm just saying it's not seen as such an issue that people should have massive changes in their daily life. So by 2050 is, is what what they say 2050 because then people can have gradual changes in their life. They can have gradual effects in life instead instead of immediately moving away from uh, from I don't know from like your normal uh, gas power plant or your coal power plant to go and then and then you have to spend. I don't know, an extra 20, 50% on like the renewable energy sources that, that people have to do. You, you saw in a way, you say maybe 10% of your power comes from uh, renewable and maybe 20%, then 30%, then 40%, then 60%, then 70%. And then by that time, by, that, by, the, time, by the time it gets to the 80s and the 90s and 100% of your power being produced by uh, renewable energy sources, it's become, it's become absolutely cheaper than the actual non-renewable. Because the, with, the, with the rise in gas prices, with the rise in uh, oil prices and all this, situation it's become more and more expensive as you can see in energy has become more expensive over the past it's been a massive talking point so because energy has become more expensive because energies and renewable uh, renewable non-renewable energy sorry has become more expensive people are people are more likely to think to think in a in a, in a system to go away from new uh, not not non-renewable energy to renewable energy so um so like because because it is more because it's getting more and more and more expensive to do that I agree with you, but I think also, I think, look, in order to get 2040 efficiently, we're going to have to use a public energy company, in my view. I think that the current energy sector is a joke because the fact is, mm. if we look at this current crisis we're in with electricity bills doubling, we have gas bills going by 81%, that we've got to have price caps. Do you think price caps are the solution in a way for the individual? Well, do you think price, put it this way, if we were to say that no energy company could raise their prices beyond the rates of inflation, would that stifle technological development? Uh, no, because tech, uh, I think, I think te te technological development comes solely from a different particular area. I mean, um, obviously, obviously, if, if businesses are having their uh, rates, having their profits capped, obviously, they're going to have less investment in less research and development, obviously. But I think, but I think the government could easily reinsure, uh, could easily go to these companies and say, "Here you go, here's here's this X amount of money to to invest in this area, to, to research in this area, to try and produce a better better source of alternative than than the current than the current gas you're producing or the oil or the oil that burning that you're doing to produce energy." So, uh, and and you can see you can see gradually now that all these energy companies like Shell and all of these all of these British gas are actually slowly moving away from. From, from this area, they go, they're going to, they're going like, there's adverts on TV all the time now saying, saying oh, you can buy our smart meter, which saves, which saves 20% on your energy, or you can buy, you can buy a smart meter, which, more oh, sorry? I want all those adverts blocked because they take up 20 seconds of a YouTube video I'm trying to watch, and it annoys me all the time. And buy YouTube premium. No, no, I don't want to give <laughs> YouTube money. <laughs> What a contribution that was. Now, moving I mean, on. I mean, yeah, it was a great contribution. It's true. Every, the 20 second adverts about smart meters are the enemy of the people. <laughs> 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 on YouTube. Right, now moving back on. 
I told him if he starts wittering and boring us all, he's going to be put in the waiting room for 10 minutes. He's been put in the cinder. Yeah, exactly. That'll, that'll teach you not to witter on. Now, back to our point. So wait, do you think also when we're talking about climate change, that first, right, let me put it this way, nuclear, solar and wind, rank them in order of the most important, then, in your view? Um, I would say nuclear number one. Yeah. Uh, number two, wind. Number three, solar. For this country, but in other countries, it'd be completely different. If, if, if you go, if you go, if you go to the Middle Eastern countries, it'll be solar, yes. then wind, then presumably nuclear. Because I mean, if they start developing nuclear power, the Americans will go in and give them uh, like uh, good talking to. If they start producing nuclear energy, so and, you, and then do you think solar is more useful in the south of England? Do you think because of course in London in the southwest, their temperatures often four to five degrees higher than us, so therefore they can yeah, yeah, well, more effectively. Than it's about it's, it's, it's it's not about the temperature, really. So it's about the cloud cover that we have, and there's less cloud cover. And I mean, Brit, 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 Britain is such a weird island. We have like eight different weather systems hitting us constantly all the time. So it really, I don't really think it really particularly matters where you put solar panels, as long as. But I mean, if you put them down south, you are technically over the period of time. Going to have... It doesn't matter. You you don't want to put uh, solar panels in Inverness where they basically don't no, no. have sun. Yes, no, no. But that 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 I'm talk, I'm I'm, talk, I'm talking about in England, for instance. In England, it doesn't it doesn't particularly oh, right, yes. matter as much because because cloud because because it's mostly the same about cloud coverage. Uh, um, but the issue, but the thing is, the thing with solar panels is that if you're going to put wind uh, wind uh, farms up in the north, you probably have to put solar panels down in the south because there won't be enough room anywhere else to put them. That, that that that's the theory, and that and that's the same in the nuclear nu- nuclear power. You'll put the nuclear powers in the south or in the north. You have to put the other places in other places because it. To put the other renewable energies in other places because you don't have a place to put them, if you see what I mean. Uh, but the fact, I think, I think, I do, I do think that overall and over a period of time, that it would be more beneficial to have solar panels in the south, yes. But I think, but I think wind, I think wind farms and all that, um, wind, wind farms have to go in, have to really go in Scotland because that is where the windiest part of the uh, windiest part of the country is. That's where they have to go. And then I think I think all that's left is that the North will have to have the nuclear power plant. I think that's how it should work. I think so too. I think so too. But do you think governments should nationalise the solar infrastructure and the wind infrastructure thing? So therefore we can have not necessarily the Department of Energy running it, but have local departments. So like Manchester can run Manchester's energy uh, solar policy and, and Newcastle could. Or do you think it should be one centralised Department of Energy with the Energy Secretary controlling the entire operation? I think, I think that's how it should be. I think I think if you put I think it'll be vastly different. I mean you could you could you could cross your border from Greater Manchester to Lancashire to have a completely different energy system, completely different energy cost. Uh, but then but then if you ha- if you have a centralized government system doing it, you would have you would have basically the same the same the same roughly the same cost, the same the same uh, factors of energy being produced. I think I think though that we do need to nationalize all renewable energy sources. I think I think if we put those into private hands. All that's going to happen is that they're going to be taken advantage of, and people will move away from them because 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 the businesses will put will put up there. Oh, you're 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 doing good for the environment. You're doing good for this. Um, here you go. Uh, we'll go. We're going to charge a bit extra to be to be helpful to the environment. That's that's what's going to happen. So I think I think I think that nationalising nationalising wind, solar, nuclear, all the renewable energy uh, sources would um should be a. Should, should, should be a forefront of the government's idea, I think. 
But also, I think you've got to be careful of the cost, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we've just come out of a globalised recession. We're basically coming out of an absolute malaise, economically yeah. speaking. We haven't got £100 billion to throw at the climate crisis. So is the solution, do you think, to develop, say, an £800 billion global international fund but over, say, a decade or five years, but have every nation in the G20 paying an equal share of the fund? So, you know, if it's £800 billion over a decade, that means £80 billion, which means both we're all, every nation pays £16 billion. Sorry, um, but, billion pound a year. Well, I think, I think an issue with that is that we wouldn't be able to meet, I don't think we'll be able to reach a target with that amount of money if you put that how into it. How much do you, do you think would be required in your view? But for, 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 for the G20, for all the G20, I mm -hmm. think... I'm going to... I'm going to... A trillion? More than that. A trillion half? Uh, give, give, give me a second. I don't know these some calculations. Uh, I go for it. I, I'm going to say... In, I'm going to say into the four trillion. Over a decade? No, not over a decade. Oh, 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 up until 2050. That's how much money will have to be spent. Oh, right. To get, to get to the next zero. So that's four trillion, divide that by 20, it's 200 billion, divide that by 30, it's about seven billion, seven billion a year we need. Mm, exactly. So, and do you think we'll have to make allowances for the fact that we'll also have to be developing all the underdeveloped nations, not just the Western yeah. world? Exactly, exactly. So you have to do that. So I think, I think you put about, I think, I, th I think if you put about what, I think like 12 billion pounds in every, every G20 nation, they, they, and then they'll say, this goes into this big pot, and whatever, and countries get to take it out. Countries get to take it out. Obviously, obviously, it's not going to be like an actual pot where people take the money into it. But and the countries take it out, and that has to be spent. All the money has to be spent on renewable energy in that in that particular pot. There, there, there isn't any. Oh, I'm going to spend this tiny little bit on uh, gas or oil. It's all got to be spent on renewable energy. And I think I think small countries can come in. But then, but then the issue with the smaller countries is. Can we can we make sure that they do this? Because you know you know the corrupt the corrupt the corrupt governments that you have in like in South America that you have in Africa and so, and so exactly exactly. But then but then if we want them to get to renewable energy as well, we have to we have to make sure every country hits net zero. We can't we can't we can't have one country taking more carbon dioxide to cover for another country because if that country has a bad year and has to reduce more carbon, it, it all factors into the equation. So I think I think what needs to happen we need to make sure that all governments will spend the money that's been invested by all the countries on renewable energy and i think that, i think that, i think that's i think that's where the i think that's where the hardest part comes in so. that's the case for an international treaty something based off of kyoto and paris and merged together into one global treaty that all nations will commit mm. to net zero by 2050 and whether that requires a phasing down of say saudi arabian oil or a phasing down of say indian coal that so be it will help them assist but all nations i think the big issue with a lot of these climate change treaties and energy independence is that the big there are six nations like i said the previous on the podcast that can stop the world from climate change that is the united kingdom the united states china india saudi arabia sorry five nations in the world and the germans the germans yes the well, germans French. The british invented work through their revolution and the french invented being french in their revolutions there are five revolutions, may I add. I mean, it's British to have a bit of casual xenophobia against French, but how will you know that you'll be dealing with the same French government, James, by the sign of the treaty? 
You may want to sign the treaty. Next minute, there'll be a massive revolution in France. And, oh, they've overthrown their government for the sixth time running now. Anyway, we might do a piece on the French elections next week. That'll be interesting, because they're going back to the polls after five years and might have fascists elected in France, which will be hilariously funny, but also deeply, deeply worrying. Anyway, back to the point about climate change. So, is this, how do we get China and India and Saudi Arabia and the United States to get on board with the net zero effort, you think? I think, I don't think it'll be hard to get the United States on side. Yeah. I don't, and I don't think it'll be hard to, I don't think it'll be hard to get Britain on side. The issue lies is in China, India, and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Saudi Arabia makes 90% of its revenue on non-renewable energy sources. So by saying to them, by saying to them, get rid of the one thing that makes you money, it's not they're not going to be pretty pleased. Like I mean, so that, that yeah, but in fairness to MBS now, the, the figure's gone down to about 50. Saudi Arabia's now wins off of oil and using uh, private enterprises and new companies to come in and develop yeah. new ideas and stuff, like Dubai have instantly. I mean, to yeah. it's about the Middle East. I think the UAE could be a model. You know, I remember that could be a model for Middle Eastern development or Jordan, where, you know, they're still very Islamic nation, very good, but they're not based on oil anymore. They're based on Western yeah. companies coming in and investing yeah. in the nations rather than just oil, which they all successfully squandered. They kind of, I think the word is down, used up. But yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, if Saudi Arabia moves, moves to the model of the UAE, like you said, maybe, maybe, maybe we can get them on side. But and then China, can we get China on side? That that's we'll, we'll we'll try to go along with something that the West is doing. I think so. I think that is the big issue, you see, because I think that especially with the Russian-Ukraine conflict, which we discussed three weeks ago, China has always been a Russian, a friend of Russia, primarily because of the Soviet Union, but now because of intercontinental links. And is there a question that specifically, will China, what will it take to get China on board? Because like I've said on this podcast many times, China has, this public, uh, economically speaking, by the balls, right? We are one trillion pounds of debt into China. America has $18 trillion of debt to China. They have got us. And for us then to say, well, we demand you uh, you cut your coal emissions, which power up the entire Western China. They'll just tell us to bugger off. I mean, exactly. So what's the solution? Is it for us to develop uh, more friendlier diplomatic relations with China, with um, Saudi Arabia, and with these Indian and India as well? So therefore, as a friend, we can tell them, you know, you've got to ease your supply, but we'll give you the aid to do it. Or is it for mm-hmm. us to just become all extinction rebellion about it and start chanting obscenities in the streets. Uh, I think I think with China that just won't work. <laughs> but I think the the the, they won't issue, understand the, issue it. Bec- the issue of becoming friends with Saudi Arabia and China is the human rights abuses that are going on in that country. Are people are people in Britain and people in America going to accept of becoming friendly with countries that are quite blatantly accepting human rights abuses as the casual thing? Like, 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 um, like the Muslims that are being put in what nobody's got concentration camps in China, and and um, and and like, and the what, 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 what's Saudi Arabia doing? I can't, oh, everything is the, is the answer. Uh, they're, they're abusing human rights as well. So, there's a so that the issue is, will do we want to be do we want to have the diplomatic relations with countries that are like that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think. I mean, it goes back to the idea of free trade, isn't it? That, 
you know, do we want to trade with nations with useless labour and environmental standards, which I think is a perfectly reasonable thing to argue, but there are some insane, and I mean, look, it's a simple thesis of do we want markets to run the climate change policy, and I don't think we do, but how do we then encourage our own nations to manufacture goods? Remember when Roosevelt was fighting the Second World War, he turned all companies into war fighting companies, so GM were manufacturing tanks, you know, GE were manufacturing bullets, etc., and you know, they turn into the war for now. Is that what we're going to have to do, do you think? Do we have to get, do we have to create, do we, the, gov- the government, have to create companies solely focused, for example, on b- manufacturing solar panels? Manu- and we have to companies that could build nuclear power plants or putting wind farms in the seas. Is that, do you think that's the role of government or should the government be paying businesses to do that? Again, the issue, the issue is who can do it the fastest? <laughs> who, can, who, who can do it for the best cost? Usually, usually when it comes to manufacturing and building stuff, it is usually the private sector that can do it better, more efficiently, and um, for, cheap, for a cheaper cost. But then, will the private sector ask for huge amounts of more money for that, rather than to cut? If, if the government builds, if the government builds it, and it say, we'll say, it say, take you five years to build this offshore wind farm, and it cost us, as it would cost us, I don't know. A, hundred, a billion pounds, we'll just say a billion pounds. I know yeah. those figures are completely made up. What's that? Let's say, let's say it will cost a billion pounds. And the private sector comes in and says, well, we can do it in two years, but it'll cost 1.5 billion pounds. Is that worth the 500 million pound justification? Extra? Not really, because then, the, then some would argue, well, I would argue, actually, that the 500 million pounds could be a reduction in quality. Exactly. So there's no point in reducing cost if you reduce quality. Yeah, exactly, right. that's that's the whole point. And I think and I think I think the fact there's a fine balance between between you know low cost and low quality. You, you can't you can't you can have a low cost product that has which is very high quality, you can have it all the time. But then you can also have a higher cost product with low quality. And the fact, the fact is, the government, the government needs to make sure they find the low cost product with the highest possible quality that they can create. And if 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 that if that product costs a billion pounds compared to uh, compared compared to the one that costs five hundred million pounds, but but it's it's mm. ten times more efficient. It's it, it's it's you know it produces more electricity. It's much it's much more better for the environment than, than uh, construction wise. Would that five hundred million pounds be justified? Of course, like, over a period of time, over over a period of time, absolutely. But then the fact is, the fact is, will the government, will the government see it as an over period of time, or will they see it as a short term investment? Are they going to see this as a long term investment? And that's what they need to do. The government needs to see all of these climate things as long term as a long term investment. Yeah. Of course, it's a long-term investment. You know, yeah. the fact is, it's pre- it's preservation. And you know, there are some who say this is a new debate we're having on climate change. It's not. You know, we've America has had the climate change debate since 1908 when Teddy Roosevelt started to pres- talk about the need for conservation and preservation. Jimmy Carter accelerated the climate change debate in 1976 when he talked about uh, when he put, for example, solar panels in the office building of the White House, which Ronald Reagan took down as his very first act. You know, it's the Kyoto Treaty. That was a big, this is a very old debate we're having with climate change. It's not a new debate by any means, but also I think it's a very simple issue here, which is that how do we ensure that all nations live up to their promises? Because, you know, if you take the United States as a key example, right? 
President uh, Clinton signed the Kyoto Agreement in 2000, right? President Bush basically removed from the Kyoto Agreement. President Obama signed the Copenhagen Treaty, the Paris Climate Change Accord. Uh, the deranged narcissist in chief uh, decided to remove both uh, our United States agreement from both of them. That was President Trump I was referring to there. Uh, he's had to abandon the PCA, abandon Copenhagen. And then, of course, President Biden has now, of course, rejoined uh, the Paris Climate Change talks. And there, of course, will be a new treaty developing probably in the next year or so. But then if a Republican comes in in 24, what's to stop them from abandoning the treaty? And therefore, it's back to stage one. So the, the, it's like, um, you know, if you look at China, yes, you had uh, Chairman Mao who did a salt treaty, you had Deng Xiaoping who did the second salt treaty. But then 20 years, China were making no nuclear arms limitation treaties. So how do you ensure that if we all sign to an agreement that says we will reach to net zero by, say, 2045, how do we ensure constant stability? We can't. That, 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 that is literally, that, 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 that is the whole issue of these treaties. I mean, you can't, I mean, I mean, in, if, if, if anybody takes, signs a treaty, you are taking that person's word that, that they're not going to do it. And they said, they said well, I've, I've had a bit of ink and I've put my name down, so that means that I don't lie. I'm, it's, it's just, it's just now, it's, I mean, you, I mean, you look throughout the entirety of history, people have just broken treaties, pulled out of treaties, whenever they felt like it, if it's not, it, just to get a bit of political, you know, political uh, support. And that, and that, and that's, and, and, that, and, that, and that's all that will happen, is that we just, again, with the COP26 in Glasgow and all the countries signing a new deal. This will only work or only be a thing, if you see what I mean, if, if all countries agree to it. And the fact is, all countries did agree to it, but will all countries follow suit? Will all, country, will all countries think, ah, do you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put this amount of money into the thing. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be countries out there who will. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 actually, I'm certain there's countries that are doing it right now. But there's, got, there's always going to be countries that go, well, I signed it because otherwise I'll be hammered by the press. Hammered by, hammered, hammered yeah. by the press. I'll be hammered by, 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 the, by the public. And then and they say, and then and then they just don't do it. They say they're going to do it, and then they just don't do it. And I think, and I think that's what the truth. Can you? Yeah. What politicians sometimes define as public anger isn't public anger. A lot of things that the Westminster bubble or the Washington bubble say the public do not like, the public probably do like. Like you know, the healthcare debate in America, where they say the you know public don't want socialized medicine. 78% of the American public do support Medicare for all people. So, you know, it, I think sometimes politicians can become deluded. But I think, you know, going to the argument here, isn't the solution, you know, back to our campaign finance reform debate, that we've got to get lobbying out of politics, that lobbyists, you know, take, for example, let's say we had a global international treaty that got net zero by 2040, and then say America signed on to it, okay? How much do you want to bet there's some oil industrial lobbies in the state of Texas, in the state of Alabama, will call up the state chairmen of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party and say, don't you sign on to this nonsense, otherwise we'll cut your funding. Exactly. And, and I, think, I think that's major issue. It is getting lobbying out of politics. It's getting yeah. rid of lobbying. Is that, and that's and that is that is practically going to be impossible for many countries. It's just it's just going. You can't you can't. It's just that money money talks. Money yeah, talks. in the of state that's back to the state funding of elections argument. If government exactly, funded elections, exactly, we wouldn't have we, we do need, Yeah, exactly. We do need state funded elections. And the, again, the thing the thing um, there was this um, there's this interview that. Um, David Cameron is prime minister in 2015, and he's got and the election happened in 2015. Oh god! He said, um, 
he said um uh he said that there's only that the governments they go they get they get about 30 grand each 30 grand a year each MP gets 30 grand to spend uh, for, for their constituency. Yeah. And then and and then what happens and then what happens is that um and then what happens is the the interview says only 30 grand. I'm going, yeah, only yeah. 30 grand. We spend two billion pounds, like billions and billions of dollars on on all on all on our elections. And then they go, and then and then, and then what happens is that is that people <laughs> and then James Cameron goes, you spend that. And the, the fact is, they only get this money. They only, they only get this money because of because because of the lobbying. It's a it's a conservative um, it's a conservative government. Uh, so the, the republic the Republicans get the money from the gun lobby, from, from the oil lobby, and from and from the thing, and then the Conservatives get the money, and then the uh, Democrats get the money from like you know the um, from, unionists, from the trade um, unions, unionists, the trade the unions, exactly all those groups. Exactly. So the thing the thing is, if you get lobbying out of politics and just so so solely for every election based on uh, based on government funding, the fact the fact is is that it will allow. There to be more open discussions. It will it will allow politicians not be affected as much by by um, by, by principles that are uh, matters to the world. Because there, there is undoubtedly there is undoubtedly oil companies that have phoned up Donald Trump when he was president and said and said um, yeah we're going to um, we're going to put uh, put pull out of the Paris Agreement now because it, well, it's it's not going to it's going to cost us we're going to go bankrupt otherwise. And Donald Trump yeah sure. Because otherwise he wouldn't get the money to support his next campaign, and then and and, and then what and then what will happen is that Joe Joe, Joe Biden's coming in, and then then the renewable energy, the non-renewable, sorry, the renewable energy sources have got signed signed back to the Paris Agreement, and then Biden Biden did that because otherwise he wouldn't get the money for the next campaign. And what also happens to be cycle of people pulling in, pulling out, pulling in, pulling out, depending on what government is. And the only way I can see a, a government staying, uh, a country staying in a political area is either a is it's stable politically, like like a quite like like a majority of the uh, European Union uh, uh, and the European nations, like Britain, like Ireland, like France, like Germany, like Italy. You know, they do have a stable. They have they have consensus politics. They do they do believe roughly in the same thing most of the time for for, for particular thing, and um, and I think uh, and I think that what needs to happen as well is that there's got to be. Okay. I, think, this, I agree with you like, doing consensus politics and everyone says well uh, politics is divided no 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 no. virtually all parties i mean okay there are differences like in france for example everyone yeah. knows that for example jean-luc melanchon of the workers revolutionary party on 23 percent of the votes is very very much different than president macron you know one's a free market yeah. the other one is jean-luc melanchon you know but the that party and Tory party are different so but i think in terms of the environment i think the solution is within the political stratosphere is for right-wing parties to adopt to come up with their idea like the left who come up with that is the green industrial revolution or the green new deal right which is the government funded investment into uh, industry solar panels in all businesses it's to insulate all homes it's to you know etc you know electric powered buses electric powered railways it, and ending pollution it's basically to cut emissions down to zero which i think is a very good idea but the right needs to come up with an alternative. The issue right now is the left have an idea, but the right have no idea. And the only way you can have compromise, real change, is if the left have got a good idea and the right have one too. So then you can take the best from both ideas and make one package. And if the left and the right are both on board, 
no government will ever overturn it. Exactly. That's. I mean, and, and that, that's what's happened. That's happened with Philip practically most of. That, that's what. That's what happened with the. Um, that's what happened with the Beveridge Report in 1945. Yeah. The the right and the left of of the country both agreed that we do need the NHS. We do need. We do need a you know state pension and all this. All, and all of this was what was implemented. And then nobody's nobody's dared to change it. Otherwise, be kicked out of power immediately. But and then and then the thing. And and that and that's the same with a majority of these things. So so you've got you've got you've got you've got the situation where 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 there's um where there's a uh, where 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 parties where all parties practically agree on the same thing that in, in the UK that we have to we have to cut down carbon emissions we have to make it net zero by 2050 and all the parties agree on that. Obviously obviously the Green Party is more extreme saying we should we should cut down before 2050. And then and then, but all 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 all, all parties agree on net zero parties. basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All parties. The Brexit yeah, party. So that, that's net, net, net zero. That's what I meant. So. And then all parties all parties agree on that. And then the fact is when you get when but in America they don't have this consensus politics at all. They don't have any of that. They mm. they have they have. Have Democrats, Republicans, and then you might, you might, you might, you might have the occasional, you know, right-wing Democrat that agrees. Sometimes with the Republicans, you might have the occasional liberal Republican who agrees. Sometimes with Democrats, Democrats, but most of the time they're completely opposite. They they like sheer opposites of each other. They 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 they. they, they I mean, there's, there's they're literally they're literally like trials, and they get, and they go and they go. Well, I'm not agreeing with them just because just because they've said that. It's so <laughs> it's like America, it's super, but that's that's what, that's what they do, and that's what they do. And Britain. Like in America, you had the Clean Air Act of 1990, which basically they'd legislate yeah. on emissions in the air, right? President Bush started that. What are yours? Obviously, President Bush and uh, George Mitchell, certain Democratic leader at the time, uh, there was a report that came out that showed about nearly 100,000 people dying in America every year because of the pollution in the air that was causing a lack of breathing and genetic conditions. Mm. So therefore, Joe Lieberman, George Mitchell, Joe Biden, Al Gore sat down with George Bush, Bob Dole, Newt Gingrich, and Arlen Specter, and sat down with them, and they hammered out the Clean Air Act, which is the Democrat, which allowed governments to provide grants to the private sector in order to clean out the air emissions through things like reducing coal emissions, reducing nuclear emissions, etc., on the condition that the grants provided to the private sector were contingent on the basis that emissions would be falling in the air. So they basically said, we'll give you the money to clean up the air, providing you guys don't mess up. It's like doing the Clean Water Act, you know, ocean dumping. You know, we have it in Britain where, you know, British companies can literally dump raw sewage in the sea. In America, that's been a criminal offence now for 32 years. It's illegal in America now since 1990 to dump raw sewage in the sea because of the Clean Water Act, which is the Democrat and Republican legislation, same people that basically got that passed. So I think there is a key there. It's for bipartisanship. I think that if you look at yeah. the net zero debate, I think this should net zero is reasonable. It's not that I'm against it. On the contrary, I'm strongly in favour of it. It's, it's been communicated so badly, right? Yeah. If we go back to Britain, for instance. Why in Britain have we allowed Extinction Rebellion, a bunch of idle, dim-witted lowlifes, to take the mantle on taking control of climate change? They know nothing about it, right? Who is the best spokesperson in the world on climate change? It's Al Gore. And I will not hear anybody say... Greta Thunberg. What? Greta Thunberg. No, it's Al Gore, the real president of the United States. He won the 2000 election, as we all know. Right? <laughs> I, it's, just, it's, 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 just your, it's just your goal to mention it in every podcast. Yes, 
Yes. <laughs> Every time I mention Al Gore, I will also mention that he did win the 2000 election, uh, the real president. But he's been a, if you, you watched An Inconvenient Truth, haven't you, James? Uh, yeah. It's an amazing film. Hmm. And, you know, I hope no one from Bridgewater is to the podcast. I could truthfully say I learned more in that hour and a half than I did in six years worth of science lessons. But I could truthfully say I did learn more science in that one and a half hours. But the point is, is that we do have is that people generalise the debate in the context of deforestation, the polarised cats, yeah. which are very big issues. But how do we actually solve deforestation, in your view? Because, you know, as well, Clarkson said, if we import, we can't, if trees will take a long time to grow, and we can't import new trees because we'll get Dutch Elm's disease. Well, I think, I, think, I, think, I think the issue with deforestation is it happens in all countries, but it happens in the, way, the places where deforestation happens most are the countries where, where there's rape, tropical rainforests, like, like Borneo, like, like Brazil and all this. But well, there's poor farmers who don't, who, don't, who, don't know, who don't know what a greenhouse gas is. And, but all they're trying to do is cut down the trees so they can have cattle farms to produce for their family. Now, that, that, that's, what, that's all they're doing. They're, 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 they're not doing it as an evil. They're not born villains like people are trying to make them out going, ha, 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 you've got no trees there. They're doing it to try and provide for their family. And I think... I think what happens, it's going to be hard. It, what, what needs to happen instead is that we need to move away. So the majority of the deforestation happens to, is to make way for, for cattle farming yeah. or, 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 you know, or, or, di- or, different, or different types of like, you know, uh, farming. And I think, and palm tree farming as well, uh, palm oil. So, so, so what, what, what needs to happen is that we need to find a way to cut loads out of our diet. And I think, and, but I think when everything's made out of, most things have palm oil. I mean, you know, everything from crisps have palm oil in, which I didn't know. I thought crisps, I thought crisps have palm oil in. Jammy Dodgers have palm oil in, and, and, all, and, and all of these things have palm oil. And more then, palm oil we need. We need more palm oil. <laughs> Can't live without those really great things. <laughs> Chris and Jammy isn't Dodgers. That, isn't that, you know, I was, re- I was watching Clarkson's show a couple of days ago, and I still love it. It's still great. But he made a point about uh, insects, and he said there are basically 90 years worth of insects left on the earth, and then all life ends because we've been destroying so much of our wildlife, we've been destroying so much of our natural places. So, is the solution, yeah. do you think, for us to say that in areas like Torbay or Cornwall or Dorset or Oxfordshire, that we should leave certain parts of land untouched? That, you know, it's the role of either local councils or the government to say, to big businesses, whilst of course we need more investment from private enterprise, this this land is un- you cannot go and touch that land. In effect, and it's also Wait, you mean, you mean like a national park. Yeah, sort of like yeah, national park exactly. But we also need to reform farming practices. So Jeremy Clarkson Clarkson cannot go around driving over flowers, for instance. So you know, isn't the solution in terms of going back to the of energy independence is to manufacture our own renewable energy? that's primarily through environmental conservation. So for example, Mm. to make it illegal to dump stuff in the waters, to make it illegal to pollute the air Mm. by means of coal production, but to also say we'll work with business. I think the issue with it, and I'll sum it in this very simple sentence. The environmental debate has has been around two factors. Listening to either left-wing climate change, a smelly armpit activists, or listening to right-wing business freaks who do not understand the facts of life. And I think there's actually a centre medium here, because I think there are people like me and you, James, who are very concerned for the environment, except for France, but anywhere else, very concerned for their environment and protecting the environment. 
but also acknowledge that we're in a bit of a financial crisis and we haven't got a hundred yeah. billion pound a year to throw at the problem. So isn't the, the yeah. solution for the climate change debate is to have a bit of intellectualism on the conversation saying that of course we need to cut emissions and have renewables, but we've got to bear in mind simple fiscal reality. It's not it's it's not it's not just that everything costs money. There's things there's things that I, I know it's I know it's gonna sound absolutely silly, but every single person can can help reduce yeah. The climate, the climate. I mean, it's just by little things. Uh, instead, instead of taking the car to, to you know, uh, work every week, maybe cycle one day or something. Like that. I mean, obviously, obviously. But I mean, if everybody did that, run them over. That, run them over, I say. <laughs> but if every, but if everybody did that, oh, you can see the effects. If, if thirty million people instead, instead of instead of walk, uh, instead of drove uh, uh, every single day. Cycle to work isn't every electric day. Electric car solution then, isn't it? Electric car well, solution. The thing, the thing, the thing with electric cars is that you get, you get, you get your electric car. The batteries come from Japan. The, the bodies come from Germany. The um, the 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 the, tie, the tires have also come from Japan. You've got, you've got, you've got, you've got the steel aisle. Lot. You've got, you've got, you've got the state. You've got the steel aisles that come from uh, from Canada. Yeah, you have, you have the car that. So then, so then, so what? 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 Why can't we make our own? Why can't we make our own electric cars? I mean, we we got plants already in Sunderland, Newcastle, in Birmingham, yeah. in West Midlands. Well, that, well, that, well, that's, that's what's going to happen. They have electric cars. But, they, well, that, that's what's going to happen because all uh, because all new cars by twenty thirty five. Is it twenty thirty five? Or is it twenty thirty? Twenty thirty. Twenty. Oh, it's, it's twenty thirty five for lorries. It's yes. Yeah, diesel lorries yeah. by twenty thirty five. Yeah. Diesel cars in twenty thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So so. So, so 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 by twenty thirty, all new cars will have to be produced. Will be electric, and that and that's where and that's where all of these things are going to come from. That that's where the thing. But the still the still the batteries will have to be shipped from other countries. Uh, we don't have the infrastructure to produce the batteries. So if the batteries get shipped from other countries on a, on a massive gu- fuel guzzling oil tanker, uh, yeah. you, you know, on, on a cargo ship. It's, it, and then and then and then where 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 do we get majority of our electricity from? Germany. Not when you. Well, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, power-wise, it's non-renewable energy, isn't it? It's stuff that we. Oh, that, yes, yes, that, yes, renewables, yes, yes. Exactly, and and we currently, I think, we currently only produce just just enough electricity to to, to provide for everybody in the country, just enough. The USA have a net loss of electricity; they have to import electricity. The USA, so, but if every single person, if every single person in this country had to then immediately go to electric cars, obviously it'd be gradual because people still have their diesel cars that still work. But, but 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 over like five ten years, it'll be majority electric cars. What's going to happen is 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 that we're not going to have enough electricity to produce, and then we'll have to go. We'll have to go. Well, we can either produce we can either produce all of these solar farms and wind farms, which are going to cost so much more money, and we just produce one, you know, fossil burning farm. And then what's going to happen is that all all, all these like new electric cars, which are supposed to be you know, which are supposed to be like uh, environmentally friendly. Are environmentally friendly is the source of electricity is environmentally friendly. Otherwise, it's complete it's complete waste of time. If your source of envi- if your source of electricity comes from a, comes from a comes from a fossil uh, fuel burning power plant, it's not environmentally friendly because you're just doing the exact same thing as the car does. You're just going through an extra step where you don't get to see the uh, you don't get to see the fuel coming out of the car. You just get to see you just get to see nothing. Good. So I think I think I think I think a major good place to go to is hydrogen. Hydrogen power cars. The thing is, that I don't think the, techno- the technology is not not anywhere near there yet. To be fair, to be as safe enough, to, to be as uh, uh, sound enough, to be as renewable enough. But if, if we do get if we do get to a point where hydrogen powered cars are, are usable, I think there should be a massive investment in hydrogen powered cars because hydrogen powered cars 
will be the safe thing. But again, the issue of hydrogen power cars is where you get the hydrogen, which is also <laughs> which 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 is what you want to turn our cars into, James. Do you not want to turn our cars into the Hindenburg, George? Yes, you want to turn our cars into the Hindenburg disaster. All cars, boom, yeah. kabam. I mean, well, I've heard about it. <laughs> what, are the, what are the honest benefits, though, to hydrogen-powered cars? Because I've always thought electric cars are solution. What are the benefits to hydrogen? Okay, well, there's... um. So, so what, what happens is that hi, hi, you put hydrogen into your car, you then, it's got a combustion engine like a normal engine, yeah? Yes. But but instead instead of releasing, you know, you know... Uh, Carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide. It releases, it releases uh, H2O. Just releases water. So how's that different to nuclear then? Sorry, different... electricity. How's that it's different? Power different... cars, nuclear The difference between electric cars is that you won't need the batteries. The batteries that the electric cars have, which oh. are hard to, uh, which are hard to get rid of. All, all, all cars have batteries. Yeah, like like all what? cars have batteries. Less small, they're easy. Let they're as easy to put, but I mean, you take the massive Teslas that you have to say, those have got huge, like, tw- they got like something like 20,000 batteries or something in that car, which, 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 which have to, which have to, which have to all be recycled, which is just so much worse than, than just having, uh, than having. And then you've also got, you've also got the issue with electric cars again, like I said, with the electricity. Are we going to have enough electricity to, to be able to have every single person have an electric car? Is that, is that a possible? But I mean, neg- the negatives of hydrogen are, is, is that it's more explosive and it is more prone to be dangerous if there is a crash. But I think, but I think, but I think, if technology advances enough, I think I think we'll be safe. So then, you know, let's come on to the final part of this. I mean, we're going to discuss oil and coal, but I think the oil industry is going to be demising out, and there's still a thousand years of coal left. We can hardly dig it. But is the solution in terms of the reindustrialization through green technology, is it in your view to allow a sort to create heat pumps and insulation in everyone's homes? Is insulation part of the solution in a ways? Well, I think I think I think I think anything to minimize the amount of waste that we're doing having on our electricity or have on our heating is beneficial. I think I think minimizing the amount of effect that if you if you heat a house now, insulation if you have no insulation, you're going to lose that heat, so you need to reheat it again. But you have insulation in your house, you don't have to reheat it. Obviously, you have to reheat it eventually, but I mean, you have to you have to have less heating, you have to have less power to promote for your house. So it is saving that system in the long term. So again, yeah, if, if every house had insulation, I think I think I think that would save a few hundred thousand tons of uh, carbon dioxide every year. But again, that's not it's it's not going to be it's not going to be. A huge, massive in the grand scheme of things, it's, go, it's, it's going to be it's going to be good in the short term. This is one of the things. This is this is one of the environmental things that affects in the short term rather than the long term. But the, but the, again, with insulation, is is it going to be government funding or is it going to be you know private? Do you have to buy insulation yourself? Um, I know, I know, I know. Uh, our uh, our house has to be insulated, so so you just have to. So you just have to, and I think it was surprisingly cheap. I think it was only about eight hundred quid. So so it was surprisingly cheap. But the, but the fact that the fact is it's still still an eight hundred pound out of pocket that you have to do, and not all houses can afford that. And the houses and the houses that are more likely to have not have insulation are the houses that 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 have, that are more likely to have poor income families that have families with less income. And then you're asking them to pay what an eight hundred quid to to redo your house with insulation. I mean, it's it's a bit of an ask. So I do think the government's like, like insulate Britain was campaigning for this for the government to fund insulation for your house. 
And I think, and I think, I think that's exactly what the government should do. I think the government should should fund insulation for the house, uh, for, for all houses. And I think, and I think, I think that 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 will have a benefit in the short term. But in the grand scheme of things, over over a huge period of time, it's not going to be that beneficial. All right, let's turn to one final part of the energy discussion, which is our nature and our preservation. Is natural preservation a part of this? For example, there are people who say we're going to have people to just turn down the thermostats, etc. How can people help? Because I've always thought personally that we should pay people £5 per bin. So, you know, we get four bins, right, mm-hmm. in our homes. I think if you do each of the bins correctly, uh, all right, the three bins correctly, because the black bin should never count, because that's just free money. But the three bins correctly, the green, the cream, the green, and the red one, you should get £5 a week for each bin you do right. Now, if we pay for £15 a week to do the bins correctly, how many people would then do the bins correctly? I think therefore reducing the need for landfill sites, therefore reducing the need for dumping in the sea, etc., because we'll have the right processing. Exactly. Um, I think I think I think I think that is I think this is actually a good point. I think I think that if you do, I mean, I don't know if people. I don't think it's, I don't know if the council would go for five pounds given people to put out the bins. I think they'd be pretty happy about that. The council, but I mean, but I mean, if 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 it, if it does really reduce and it does really dramatically increase the amount of recycled recyclability that that people do recyclability is that a word recyclable the amount of recycling the amount of recycling that the person does it, that and and it just it does dramatically increase that I think I think I think that that could be a thing to look into but I, I, I don't think it should be given to the entire nation at one point I think it should be tried and tested in some certain councils in some certain regions to see if it is actual beneficial to see if it actually does work. I think, I, I think that's what should happen. All right, let's discuss one more thing. This is a very important part. This is very important, which is how much do you think in the context of foreign importation works with environmental goods? So do you think we should be allowing, for example, the foreign importing of nuclear power plants, the foreign importing of wind turbines, or should we encourage a remanufacturing in Britain? Because I think it's a central part of economics that I think we could use this climate change debate as a, as a means for remanufacturing in this nation. What do you think? I, are you ta- are you talking about importing like the actual wind? Are you importing and uh, not importing wind? Importing the wind? turbines and us using them. Oh, okay, okay. So, so, so we're using German wind turbines as our, and then they actually come straight to ours instead of instead of the German. I think, I think, I think that could work, but I think, I think the issue is that that'd be much more expensive, and I, and I don't, and I, and I don't, I don't really see us having a particular benefit of doing that for wind farms. I think, I think, I think we have, I think we we have we have we have a major beneficial of having an offshore wind farm, uh, the many other countries because we're an island, and I think there's there's I mean there's a there's a we have we we're surrounded by water, so so we can have offshore wind farms. On any part of that water, but um, but which Ger- Germany don't have that. Ger- Ger- Germany just have you know just have the uh, little, little northern coast that they have. Um, but again, again, do, is it is it is it usable? Is it is it is it is it beneficial to maybe import? I don't know. Maybe, maybe um, electricity produced by a uh, you know German uh, German nuclear power plant. Probably, if but the fact the fact is is our our do we want that to happen? Do we want do we want um, do we want to import German energy? 
Uh, do or, or, or do we do so on? Uh, but I think I think I think I think a major part of a major part of this carbon you know carbon use is to become energy independent. And I think I think I think every country should be energy independent. But if we're relying on Germany to produce, I don't know, maybe five percent of our electricity, it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it. But I mean, it's still still five percent of our electricity produced by produced by foreign countries. It doesn't have to be Germany; it could be a different country. You know what I mean? If five percent of our energy is produced by different countries, is it really? Are we really energy independent? I don't think so. I think we should be fully energy independent. I think we should fully invest just in our thing and, and instead of importing electricity, we should be exporting electricity to other countries that haven't. Actually, isn't the important which is about energy independence, about German nuclear power, which is that I think personally we need German experts helping us with nuclear power plants because their nuclear power plants are fundamentally safe. But I also think it comes to the environment that we've got to make our own products. I think centralization is British products going to make its part of unemployment is to make our own products in a new economy. Uh, we will be discussing a more energy independence in later debates, but I think this week's been a good episode. Do you think? I think it's been a good episode this week. I think it's been a good episode, yeah. It's been a good episode this week. Uh, next week, we'll be discussing either the French elections, because the, the elections are coming soon. We can all have a good bit of French bashing, I'm sure. Or we'll be discussing some, we might be discussing the history of the Democratic Party. I do not know. We could be exploring a deep president. We might, I mean, we'll probably have to do a British issue next week as well because of the, we messed up the order somehow. I think it's because of Ukraine messed up the order a bit. So we might explore a leader, we might explore a current affairs issue, depending what it is. But I will let the, the good people know. All right. This podcast will be uploaded by probably 7.30 on Spotify and then I'll put in the podcast on the internet so we can all have a good listen to the episode. Marvellous. All right. Bye-bye. See you next Saturday, James. See you next Saturday. Next Saturday, yeah. we'll, yeah. next Saturday half past five, we'll, we'll do another episode. Marvellous. Okay. Good See day. You. Bye.